Holistic. Bashiana. Hi. Welcome to Who You Call in Holistic. I am your host, Shiana Rivers. I am recording today at GOT Sound Studio. Shout out to Neek. Before we get into all the other things, make sure you like, subscribe, share my shit. Uh, sign up for my email list as well for all the updates. You know, I've been hosting sound healing events and I'm having some more of those. And you want to make those for sure, especially when I'm having them at the Salt Cave. But I've also... I have a sound bath coming up soon. If you're already listening before that event, make sure you sign up for that. That's the 23rd, but I know some people don't listen to it until later. So if you miss it, just make the next one. But it'll be sound bowls. It'll be Reiki. It'll be a a good time of healing and transformation. Now, let me welcome our special guest today. I'm saying our special guest. I mean, I guess my listeners are your guests to the listeners as well. But I'm here with Dr. Megan of, I'm so used to just calling you Megan. Is that okay? Okay, cool. I tell people but just to so call they me know. doctor. Or to not call me doctor, like, after the first time. Okay. okay. I'm like, I'm smart. I have this degree. Mm-hmm. Just first name is great. Okay, cool. So Megan of Soul Shine Pelvic Health. And I was trying to remember how, well, first of all, welcome, Megan. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Um, I was trying to remember how exactly we met, and I feel like we were having this conversation fairly recently, too. We, th- I think we decided it was at... The Well Cafe. Oh, mm, we won't talk about that place. That place. Yeah. Cool. But we, I think, because that was my first ever, like, office office. Got it. Okay. And yeah, I remember yeah, yeah. I was like, there's just this cool, like, vibey massage therapist. But then we didn't connect for a while until yeah. Femme. Yes. And then at Femme, and this is the important thing I tell people about, like, getting involved with the community and events around you, because we met at Femme at an astrology event. Mm. It was, yeah, it was astrology planning. Yes, and I think we were like, oh, we've met. Mm-hmm, Great. Mm-hmm. And then yes. we connected. Yes, and then you'd, you'd been seeing me for treatment and sending people my way too, so I appreciate mm-hmm. that. Yeah. And as I was like putting this together, I was looking at, um, I was like putting notes together for what I was going to ask you and stuff, which we already know each other, so I had an idea. I usually have an idea before I do this anyway. But as I was like putting in these notes, I was like, wait a minute. We have like a lot of similarities with what we do. Yours is very more science-based and and detail-oriented in that aspect, but mm. I do like the energetics of what you do yeah. as far as treating. It pairs nicely, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. for sure. And I think it's important to, because I was even like looking at some of the stuff that you treat and how you go about doing it and stuff, and then I was like, you know, how do I process that as what I treat or like how I look at the body and the dysfunctions happening with that. Mm-hmm. So you are, you have a practice, Soul Shine Pelvic Health, yeah. and you specialize in sexual dysfunction. Yes. What, what is, what are some symptoms yeah. of sexual dysfunction? What does that look like? So we treat all genders. Okay. I will say like most of our patients have vulvas or vag- and vaginas. Um, whether or not they identify as female, most of them do, but we have like some non-binary and transgendered folks also. So I like to give that disclaimer. Like when I'm talking about vulvas or penises, I try to keep that like fairly gender neutral. So the main thing we probably treat is unwanted pain or discomfort Mm -hmm. in any gender in their genitals as it relates to sexual activity. Um, and a lot of that tends to be pregnancy and postpartum specific, mm-hmm. but like I saw multiple patients just today that haven't had children mm-hmm. and they still had some kind of sexual concern or dysfunction. So 
pretty much I say, if you don't want it to hurt, if that's not the goal or what you're into, then it shouldn't. Mm-hmm. And that goes for any negative sensation, pain, discomfort, itchiness, irritation, um, like unwanted muscle tightness. Mm-hmm. I have patients that say like, well, I have tension. It's not hurting, but it's annoying. Like mm-hmm. I can't relax. I can't allow for penetration. Um, for men, a lot of times it's erectile issues. Mm-hmm. However, I've had males with penile and testicular and like tailbone and perineal pain. So pain is probably still the biggest one, but mm-hmm. we treat ED as well. And there's lots of also little random offshoots, like not super common, but we see it. So like um, post vasectomy or vasectomy reversals, mm-hmm creates a lot of scar tissue, can create pain, tension, et cetera. That's not like a super common thing people come with, but I've had several patients with those. Or like females who are having a prolapse surgery or hysterectomy. Again, like not the most common, but that creates scar tissue, Mm -hmm. dysfunction, et cetera. And we view sexual health as a very important part of people's health picture. Mm -hmm. And so in my mind and Dr. Maya's mind, my PT who I work with, like you can't separate that out. Right. So people are often like, why are you asking me all these sex questions? And I'm always like, if this is not concerning to you, mm-hmm. I don't need to work on it. But I want to give people the space to address their sexual health because very few medical offices do that. Yeah. And I told you before, I used to work, well, my history with this realm was I used to work for a gynecologist. And I remember working there and learning so much about hormones doing things to people. And I was like, I had no idea that hormones did so much (laughs) to, to women. Like people were coming in for hormone replacement therapy. Mm -hmm. And then the other thing that I learned about there, which I I feel like I discussed with you, which is something you just mentioned was prolapse. Mm -hmm. And they, uh, the physician I was working for at the time, he did a lot of I guess, bladder prolapse slings yeah, yeah, or something. Or like tacks, they call it sometimes, or mm-hmm. like pulling it up. Yeah, so for yeah. those who don't know, like what is what is a, a prolapsed bladder? Yeah. <clears throat> so prolapse um, essentially means your pelvic organs, well, I should say there are prolapses in other type parts of the body. When mm-hmm. we're talking about prolapse, we're talking about POP, which stands for pelvic organ prolapse. And that is when any genital organ is not where it should be. Mm-hmm. So it can be bladder, it can be rectal, it can be um, uterus, but it can also be urethral, mm. and it can also be what they call vaginal vault, which is where the actual walls of the vagina like will kind of cave in. And you can have multiple, so that complicates it more. Mm. You could have bladder and rectal. You could have rectal and urethral. Most of the time I see bladder or uterine, and it's related to childbirth. Right. Um, I was going to say, what kind of thing causes those other ones outside of childbirth? Like a fall? Outside of childbirth, I've seen, I have seen like women who are more menopausal, who the reason we come to that they're having prolapse is just like a lifetime of not managing their pressure well. Mm. Or like chronic constipation could be one. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's not as common, but I mean, men could hypothetically get a rectal prolapse. We don't see it much because men have one hole mm-hmm. instead of two, mm-hmm. or I guess they have two instead of three if you don't have <laughs> So we don't see it in men very much. Um, but it's similar reasons that you would develop like a hemorrhoid or a 
hernia. Okay. Like that's all pressure management. That's all like organ or tissue doing things it shouldn't be doing or like entering a space it's not supposed to enter. So those are the reasons outside of childbirth, but within childbirth and pregnancy, we know the more pregnancies, the more it could happen. It doesn't mean you're going to. Mm -hmm. Um, We also know if you push for a long time and if you push on your back mostly And if you deliver with instrument assisted, meaning like forceps or vacuum, Mm -hmm. that that can create, those are risk factors for prolapse. Um, And we actually often will like co-treat a prolapse with a Eurogyne or an Mm OBGYN or another provider as appropriate because there might be hormonal factors that we can't fix. Gotcha. Um, And there might be... Like some people could benefit from a pessary, which is an object you actually insert into your vaginal canal to support the organs. That's not for everybody. Mm -hmm. Um, And I don't do pessary fitting. So there are times where I'm like, hey, see, there's a PT in town who I like who does pessaries. There's also an NP who works in Eurogyne that does them at Prisma who's newer to the area. So I have these resources for people. And often with prolapse, I'm kind of co-treating. Okay. Or I'm seeing, here's what I can do, but here are the other things you need to look at. So I know you were mentioning uh, childbirth things and some of the things that happen with that. What are your personal thoughts on giving birth at a hospital? So I said this to a patient this morning (laughs) who had had a home birth. Mm -hmm. Um, I just said, I like, you know, tell tell me about your births. I always start with that, right? Tell me about your births. And she had had two home births with two different midwives. One went you know, amazing. One, there were some complications, but she was still felt very powerful and positive about that experience, despite having some complications. Um, and I said, you know, it's so interesting. I said, I, when I have patients who've had a home birth, I don't know that I've ever had somebody tell me that it, they had a trauma right. or that they had some kind of negative experience, even the ones that have transitioned to a hospital. Mm-hmm. Like I've had patients who wanted a home birth, their baby maybe was breached. They transferred to a hospital, they had a C-section mm-hmm. or they were pushing for a long time. Something was up, heart rate wasn't doing what it should. They transferred to a hospital. Mm-hmm. And even in those instances, those patients never have come to me and had like regrets. Mm-hmm. And a lot of my hospital patients do. And it's not always that something went wrong. It's typically what I hear is I wish I knew more or I wish I asked more questions Mm. or I wish I researched all these interventions. And I think at home there's less intervention options Mm -hmm. and there's less like algorithm where like you fit this, this is what we do. It's more individualized versus the hospitals for good reason have these kind of algorithms that they put people in and these protocols, which For some people go great, Mm -hmm. but for a lot of people don't take the human into account. Right. So like I always say personally, I'm not sure if I had a child that I would deliver in a hospital, Mm -hmm. but if I was high risk or I had a reason I couldn't, or I had a breech child that needed a C-section, like there are places for every intervention. Mm -hmm. I just don't think people get the education that they need. Um, so I'm always very like, there are people who benefit from hospital births. There are people who benefit from home births. Not everyone should have a home birth because if you know, you won't relax. If you know, your partner is going to be freaking out. If you know, you will be very stressed and concerned the whole time. If you have, I don't know, like three dogs that are going to be running around, right. like maybe that's not for you. Right. 
But I do get more and more people that are at least looking into it mm-hmm. or at least entertaining that fact. Um, but we also have hospital midwives now at Prisma. Okay. So well, I get good. a lot of people that don't want to be at home. That makes them anxious, but they want low intervention birth. Mm-hmm. And so they will often go to the midwives at Parkridge, which I'm so glad that they're around because they've been a really good resource too. Well, outside of, I mean, no matter the location, because of what you know with what you do for a living, like the way they have us delivering children in hospitals, Mm -hmm. is that the correct, proper way to go about doing it? It's often like not the most, I'll say, physiologic, physiologically beneficial maybe Mm -hmm. is the best terminology because the classic delivering on your back, we have evidence that that is not the best for most people. Right. Now, do people deliver on their back and are they fine? Yes, totally. Mm Mm-hmm. But also, do they sometimes wish they had other options? Also, yes. Like, people tell me that a lot. So the problem with that is it puts the most pressure on your pelvic floor and the most pressure on your tailbone. And for the baby to actually fit through the birth canal, you need different types of pelvic mobility Mm -hmm. and hip mobility. And if you have an epidural and you can't feel anything and you don't have the knowledge to say, hey, I, this isn't working. Like, can, you know, ask an L&D nurse to put you on your side with a peanut ball. If you don't have knowledge on different labor positions and what that looks like, you're going to be on your back. Right. And then you might be pushing for a really long time. I mean, I recently had somebody who had an epidural, but she waited till really late. Like Mm -hmm. she was like nine centimeters dilated. And she, and you typically push at 10 centimeters although there's give or take there. And she literally said when she came in, she had a vacuum delivery. And so she came in and she was like, you know, I really actually wish I did not have an epidural because I couldn't tell what I was doing. And mm-hmm. I think I was 10 centimeters dilated, but I think that the that my child was not was not progressing down the birth canal. Mm. So they have these things called stations where they'll rank how far in the birth can or in the pelvis the baby is. Mm -hmm. And she even said like, I knew, I kind of knew he wasn't down there, but they were telling me to push and I couldn't feel. So I just went with it and I pushed for three hours. So she was disconnected. Yeah. And so she actually said, well, I wish I didn't have an epidural or I wish I had maybe tried to push through longer Mm -hmm. because I would have had that feedback So I hear that more and more. And when people come to me and they're pregnant, I never say do or don't do this or that. I just say, what are the interventions you're curious about? And then I give pros and cons. Mm -hmm. And I give the reasons that you would have them. And I start always by saying, like, every intervention has a place Mm -hmm. or it wouldn't be there. But also, that doesn't mean you need all of them. Or I saw something recently that was from a midwife that said something like, Childbirth is a mostly natural, um, like physiologic thing that should sometimes include medication when appropriate Mm -hmm. versus a medical intervention that occasionally happens naturally. Right. And I kind of like that. I was like, that's a good way to put it because there are places for all of these things, but really education is the biggest. And if you don't know what you don't know. 
Yeah. So we're planning a birth course because of that. Reason. Yeah. Thank goodness. <laughs> and for those that are local, that's in February or March or? Yeah, we're starting it at the end of February. Okay. So for people who are due, it's going to end at six weeks. So it's February 26th to April 1st, I believe. So if you're due really April to August, I think I'm doing math. I'm like, if they are due in August, would they have conceived? I think. That's they, too much math for I me. I don't would even, be. sure. Because <laughs> I had a patient recently who was due, who's due in July and she's very early pregnancy. So if you're due any of those months, this, and I will say we geared it a little more towards a hospital birth because that's what most of the people who come to us need. Mm-hmm. They want a hospital birth, but they want low intervention. Mm-hmm. And now if you're having a home birth, you could still come and learn a ton. Like it's not that you wouldn't learn. It's just that we are going to go over hospital interventions but we're also going to include lactation and like pelvic floor p- birth prep, mm-hmm. which I've not ever seen a birth course that includes all of that. Mm-hmm. So that's what I'm the most excited about. But yeah, it's all of our social. So I think we have maybe one seat left actually. Okay. But you'll but, be having more. So yes, I we want to do it at least by, does by mean tw- twice a year? Yep. Biannually? Yeah. We want to do it at least biannually and maybe more because we do want it to stay small. Like we mm-hmm. only probably want four to six couples mm-hmm. because we are encouraging partners. It doesn't have to be the child's parent. Mm-hmm. That could be like a friend or a mother Just or some a support. father. It's whoever's going to be kind of like your support person mm-hmm. um, because we are going to teach like some partner interventions that people can use during labor. And you mentioned, you know, the whole, you don't know what you don't know, which mm-hmm. I, I feel like that comes about a lot in our industries, like in mm-hmm. the healing world yeah. and stuff. But there's also like this level. And I was talking to a friend recently who's having surgery. She's mm-hmm. like closer to my age, not pelvic things, but like she's having a surgery that in my world, I'm like, oh, this could have been prevented with some herbs and shit and some, yeah. you know, some lymphatic work and some like. There could have been other approaches. Mm. So then I was like even asking her, well, what exactly are they doing with the surgery? Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, what's the recovery? And I was asking just basic, yes. gen- generic, general questions. Yeah. And it was very much like, I don't know. like, a, And I'm like, what? Why? Why don't you know this? Yeah. But, I, but that's a, it, it's a thing. Yeah. A patient this morning actually was um, luckily, I think she's really doing it well like she's getting multiple opinions Mm -hmm. so like her ob gave her an opinion i gave her an opinion but pts are always really conservative minded so Mm -hmm. i was like yeah see a urogyne see what they think see a couple and i i also was like if you decide to have a surgical intervention like that's okay i will not at all be offended Mm -hmm. i understand that's appropriate for some people but i was like please do ask them what they are actually doing Mm -hmm. because a lot of people don't know and then we get other symptoms from the surgery. Mm-hmm. So that is, I just, and I'm maybe, I like how the body works. And so maybe I would just want to know, but I mean. Yeah, same. <laughs> any surgery, like I have a patient who has, I will like look it up and bait and try to find whatever I can on mm-hmm. it. And when I like explain it to them, like a hysterectomy is a great example. Like they're often pulling your uterus out of your vagina. Mm-hmm. And if your uterus is big. Um, which it often is if it's painful, it can Mm -hmm. be inflamed or enlarged and that can be a reason they do a hysterectomy. Although again, like not my favorite first line of defense, but something that gets done all the time. They actually like with a laser cut up your uterus 
and then pull it out in pieces. Hmm. And so people don't know that. So when they're like, I'm having pelvic pain or muscle tightness or soreness, I'm always like, well, they did pull a pretty significant organ out of like a small opening. Right. And they're always like, what? And I'm like, yeah. Now, not all hysterectomies are done that way, but mm-hmm. a lot of them are. And so they're always like, what are you talking about? I'm like, I'm like, well, double check your surgical notes. But like, that sounds like, you know, what I'm reading, that sounds like what they did. And so I just feel like you always want to be really prepared. Mm-hmm. And there's actually some studies that it's not beneficial to tell patients like, oh, you'll be fine. It won't hurt that much. It's better to give them like realistic. Yeah. Like, hey, most of my patients are in a lot of pain for six weeks. Yeah. Because then they're like, like what's wrong with me? Like, right. why is why is my recovery not? Right. And it's like so, everybody's recovery is different. Like, yeah, that's and, a very big blueprint. Yeah. In the pelvic world, we I think we do a lot of unnecessary surgery, as we mm. probably do in a lot of worlds. Mm. Um, well, in modern medicine. In modern, yes. In all Western medicine. Yes. But I also, like when someone's had a surgery, I'm never going to say, I don't know if that was necessary. Mm-hmm. But I also have had people come in and say, I had this surgery and I don't think I should have. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, yeah. And I'll just be like, yeah, you know, but we did and here we are. So you can always move forward. But- I do think more people are getting open to different healing modalities, Mm -hmm. which I think is nice. Like people are more open to me saying like, what about energy work? Or Mm -hmm. I had a friend who was having back pain and I was like, well, I was like, do you think some of this could be like emotional? Mm -hmm. And I was like, you know, the whole, I think you told me like back pain and not being supported. Mm -hmm. Back pain, like generally speaking, overall back pain, the emotion with it is lack of support. Yeah. Upper back is overwhelm. Lower back is financial. Oh, we love that. Mm-hmm. I've had all of that at one time or another. We, I mean, I feel like we all do. And there's yeah. like eb- ebbs and flows of yeah. it. Because especially, you know, when we think about like collective energy too, like mm-hmm. when everybody's going through shit, we, we all get sprinkles of that. Like if you're an mm-hmm. empath or you feel people's yeah. things, like you're like, why is my back bothering me today? Like, I, you know, it's fine. It's yeah. like nobody feels supported around you right now. Yeah. And I think a lot of healers, like I do say that we are healers, but I also say in our practice that like we're almost like the Sherpa helping the client. Like we're not doing the work, yeah. right? We're just sort of giving you guidance. Yep. Guidance and support, um, which is what people yes. aren't getting with the Western so medicine. I can tell. <laughs> and this is a work in progress, but like dealing with my own nervous system and mm-hmm. training not training, but making that connection for my staff Mm -hmm. has been difficult, but also I think very helpful. Mm -hmm. Like when I prioritize going to you, I think I've been doing every month Mm -hmm, or mm -hmm. going to the salt cave. I say every week, I probably go once every two or three weeks, Mm -hmm. but prioritizing that prioritizing, like, um, not always therapy, but like self-reflection. I was going to say self-care. Like, yeah. Yeah. I know the world self the word self care to me is like not my favorite because I mm. feel like it's very buzzwordy. Mm-hmm. That and like boundaries are like my least favorite words right and now. And toxic. Oh my god! Just because everybody <laughs> wants to talk about boundaries, and I'm not saying they're not good. I'm not mm-hmm. saying they're not necessary. I'm just saying like sometimes you do need to suck it up a little. Bit. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. anyways, so those are like my work life balance is another one that I hate because <laughs> there's no such thing. Well, for me and you, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So mine are intertwined. Yeah. (laughs) But the connection of like, you can't be your best. Well, also like, what is your best? That's another thing I don't like, but you can't be effective if you're not taking care of yourself. And I think people in healthcare, 
That sounds you like some shit Shiana says. Yeah. yeah. I mean, outside I of healthcare too, like mothers, yes. like you can't, you can't yeah. provide for your child if you mm-hmm. aren't getting provided for, if you're not taking care of yourself, if you're not getting yes. additional support, because we're not here to do it alone. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And I saw someone said to me recently, like, it doesn't take a village to raise a child. It takes a village to help a parent. Yes. Or something along those lines. Yeah. And I was like, that is really, I don't have kids, but I was like, that is really true in what I have seen. Like mm-hmm. my patients who don't have family near them or don't have, I don't, I don't know, a doula, a night nurse, whatever that means to them mm-hmm. as far as support. A lot of people have really strong church support groups, which mm-hmm. is great. And the people that don't have that, I have a harder time like physically and it, Absolutely. it makes sense. And it's not that their births are different. It's that the mental strain of all of it takes a toll on our body. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. I feel very strongly about that. I'm always telling people to like do energy work, go to Shavas spa. Yeah. Go to therapy. Yes. Uh, like it's lay down, yeah, <laughs> rest. Like literally I'm like, like when they're like, I can't sit still for five minutes. I'll be like, great. What, what rejuvenates you? Mm-hmm. They might say, actually, I really like walking. I'll say, great. Can you walk? Not a power walk. <laughs> Can we do a mindful walk? And mm-hmm. sometimes they're like, yeah. Mm-hmm. Or I'm like, what about, do you want like a stretch routine? I had a patient, several will be like, Hey, I love what you're giving me. Can we make this a flow? Like mm-hmm. can we almost make mm-hmm. it a yoga flow? And mm-hmm. I'm like, great. Yeah. Cause, and that's like you said, I like to, it's over here. It's over there. I like to um, remind people, you know, when the when they're like, "Heal me," and I'm like, "No, no, no. <laughs> I can provide the guidance. I can provide the support, but you are responsible for that yourself." Right. And like, I'm just here to remind you sometimes and to be there mm-hmm. along the way. But like, you need to know how to do this stuff yourself because it's your mm-hmm. body. Yeah. And like, it's your your mm-hmm. well being, not mine. Like, yeah. You might not see me again ever, but you will still have this skill. Yeah to take with you and share it with others that you can help along the way. And I think you and I uh, actually listen to people. Mm-hmm. That and helps. I never, I really don't provide her shame. Mm-hmm. Like I know everyone learns differently and mm-hmm. I know, I mean, I know many physicians and I know like medical school doesn't necessarily prepare you for the human side mm-hmm. of what mm-hmm. we do. And so mm-hmm. I never shame I come, people come to me all the time, very upset with their providers and I listen, but I'm careful to like not shame because I'm sure there are people, are we allowed to curse? Yeah. Who are you? Yes. This is me. Well, I was going to say, I'm sure there's people I have fucked up with also. Mm -hmm. So I never want to shame that part of it, but I also tell patients all the time, like, you know, your body, Mm -hmm. I am not going to tell you what you perceive is not correct. I am going to educate you. Like maybe it's maybe it's coming from this and not that. Mm-hmm. Maybe you need to look at this kind of provider. Maybe we do need to look at herbs. That's not my expertise. Maybe you need to see somebody to help you guide with that. Mm-hmm. But I think when we listen to patients and are open, we have more of an arsenal of where to direct them. Yes. Like people always say, am I going to do exercises in PT? And I say, well, like maybe. Mm-hmm. I don't really know yet. Mm-hmm. My new person today, I was like, do you like to work out? Because she was like, well, what do you want me to do? And I said, well, like, what do you like to do? Mm-hmm. She was like, no, I've never really liked working out, but I have two kids and I want to be active with them. Mm-hmm. And I was like, great. So I probably am going to say you have to do some kind of exercise, right. some kind of strength. I said, but like, we can work on what that looks like. Yeah. If you tell me you want to go to the gym, 
and get a trainer, then I will find you someone. Mm -hmm. But if you tell me you want something you can do in like 10 minutes while your kids are napping to just like start the process with body weight, like I'm also going to do that. And I ended up giving her breath work. Right. After all was said and done, I was like, you're actually like just not, we need to breathe. Right. You're not grounded probably. Luckily she was an ex-musician and so the breath came really quickly. Yes. But I was like, yeah, actually you're not going to strengthen right now. Like I think you need to breathe. And Mm -hmm. she was like, I can do that. Mm -hmm. Great. So I don't know. I think there's an array of how we can help people. Absolutely. And I think, and I love that that's why like this podcast mm-hmm. brings that awareness because even when I ask people, which, you know, at the end I'll ask you, but like, we need to know the different medicines available because we're mm-hmm. taught like this, you know, go to a physician, get a prescription, that's your medicine. But again, there's other medicines available. And sometimes it's not being told what we need to do. Like it's learning how to listen mm-hmm. to our own bodies to figure out what we need for it in the moment. And that's hard for people. It is, especially like, because we we come about so disconnected with our bodies already mm-hmm. from what's happened and what's shifted over the years. And then like in the South, I was gonna even ask you, like there's, you know, a level of shame to sex, mm-hmm. to reproductive health, to that kind of yeah. thing. So I was even thinking, cause you're not from here anyway, <laughs> but of all of the, options to choose from what made you say you know what I want to I want to study penises and vaginas and help people with that I know (laughs) everyone asks me that and I don't know that I have a really good answer so like I was exposed to pelvic floor PT in undergrad which is not at all common Mm -hmm. but I did a I guess they called it a practicum where you go to a practice like you go to a practice and you learn okay Mm -hmm. so I went to this pelvic floor practice with her name was Dawn or it still is Dawn, but she's not in physical practice anymore. She has like an online thing, Mm -hmm. which I also think is cool. And she's like living her best life. So I think she was the first pelvic PT in Columbia. I'm pretty sure. And so this was like 2013 maybe. Mm -hmm. And that was more than 10 years ago, (laughs) which sounds crazy. So these, it was primarily women. Like she actually did not treat males, um, but they were coming to her and like they had so many things that nobody was listening to and I don't even practice at all how she practiced. I think every practitioner has to like find their own journey, but just the fact that she listened to them and could fix these problems that like people were literally just gaslighting the hell out of them Mm. and telling them it was normal. I also should say that Dawn is a black PT and we had a lot of black patients Mm. and, and there is a definite discrepancy between Mm how black women are treated or mm-hmm. I, I probably all racial minorities and how white people mm-hmm. are treated. And so I noticed that in working with her and that was my first exposure to like the race differences mm-hmm. in our healthcare system, which was actually very, a really good experience looking back because yeah. now I continue to see that, which I think is helpful mm-hmm. because I think it's tough as like a white appearing provider to deal with people. And I have people of many socioeconomic, cultural, racial backgrounds. And if I didn't have that, I wonder, and again, I'm sure I'm not always perfect, but I wonder if I would have that awareness without seeing that. Somebody would have to point it out to you and be like, bitch, look. Yeah, I mean, (laughs) people still do sometimes, trust me. But yeah, and so I was just kind of like, this is an interesting specialty. Anyway, so I go through PT school. They don't teach pelvic floor in PT school. We had like maybe two lectures on it. Um... One of then my earlier mentors was the PT who did the lectures at the time, which was great. And 
I just started to be like, okay, I'm really going to like look into this. Mm-hmm. Also, I liked that no one else wanted to do it. Mm-hmm. And I liked that it was more challenging. And I'm not saying other parts of other parts of the PT world are not challenging, but the pelvic floor is truly, it's the center of the body. It's in charge of a lot of function mm-hmm. and it relates to everything else. Mm-hmm. Like we have to look at your spine, your hips, your core, <clears throat> your ankles, your knees, your posture, your neck. I mean, I was like needling someone's back of their head the other day because they were like having these migraines, their breath, their breathing was all over the place. Mm-hmm. I was like, we got to go away from your pelvis for a minute. Like mm-hmm. what else is going on? And so I started to like how complex everybody was. Now at the beginning of treating pelvic dysfunction, you feel like you don't know shit because you don't, you mm-hmm. really don't. It's the same in massage. They don't teach you. You get a school. foundation touch, yes. make it an hour and you're done or 50 minutes. I think is the whole, minutes. yeah. Yeah. And so then I just started really enjoying how challenging it was. And then I got into, I realized nobody was treating people with penises and I was like, okay, well, these people need help. <laughs> Luckily I can talk about most things and I don't get weird. And I'm lucky enough that I've not had bad experiences, mm-hmm. but I really don't get any weird vibes from my male patients. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're like so I grateful. Would hope not. No. And that's a reason people don't like- want to treat men though, is like a lot of females think, oh, well that's uncomfortable. And mm-hmm. A patient today literally was like showing me part of her vulva to mm-hmm. show me like where she was having symptoms. And she was like, I'm sorry, was that like crossing a line? And I was like, no, I've seen like full penises. Like it's right. totally fine. Right. It's totally fine. But, and I'm not weird about that stuff. So then right. I started getting more into like, okay, we need to treat these humans with penises. And then that led me into like some transgendered care, which I would love to expand on. We don't mm-hmm. have a big transgendered population in our practice, but- I know those humans exist and mm-hmm. I know they need help. And maybe, I was going to say, maybe they haven't found you yet. Right. And so I'm always kind of like, how can we access these people or how can we give people access to care? Because mm-hmm. that's another barrier for like marginalized communities. So well, I think it helps that's a that, long answer. Well, still, but it helps that you're not like in a hospital and like mm. taking only insurance kind of thing for, for yeah, care. That's true. You know, and that makes a difference with the care that you're providing as well. Yeah, because there's not circles the, around that. Working outside the insurance model is like my favorite thing in yes. the world. Because don't get me started on the scammy insurance yes. thing. Because I worked at the hospital. Like I've seen all of the. You've seen all of the sides. Yes. Not a good yeah. time. And I appreciate, I was lecturing, or not lecturing, but I was on a panel talking to some USC students uh, maybe two weeks ago. And I said, because I'm a we call our practice a cash-based practice. Mm-hmm. That's just like, it doesn't mean you have to pay in cash. That's just sort of like the the term for what we do, which basically just means we're outside the insurance model. And mm-hmm. I was trying to talk to these students and I did stop myself and I was like, you know what? Like, let me just backtrack. It is not wrong to take insurance and it's not wrong to work in those places. This is how I have chosen to run my practice mm-hmm. and that is not appropriate for everybody. So I also do acknowledge that not everybody can afford to not use insurance. Right. However, with the way insurance works now, people have high deductibles. People don't have coverage for specialists sometimes. People. And then you have to wait for mm-hmm. a, pres- a referral. Yes, sometimes. a referral to get to the yes, specialist. Because that yes. was me with my whole ear thing. Like, yes. I know this is wrong. I know who I need to see. I still have mm-hmm. to wait for you to refer me to go yes. and see who I need to see, who yeah. I know I need to go see. It's yeah. a shit show. So in physical therapy, you don't legally have to have a referral. Gotcha. For 30 days. So what we do is patients come see us. We send a referral to their provider. It's fine. It's super easy. Mm-hmm. But people don't know that. Mm-hmm. So. They know now. Yes, they mm-hmm. should know now. Mm-hmm. And we're, yeah, but working outside that model lets you just give more care because you can do things that like aren't traditionally covered 
which is a lot of shit actually. Like I think dry needling is not covered technically. And I dry needle a lot of clients. Like I mm -hmm. think I had five today and I might've dry needled three. Well, and what does dry needling do for these clients? Because this really? isn't acupuncture. Like, no. this is something else. So here's what, like, my blanket kind of dry needling, what I say, is I, we use the same or similar needles to acupuncturists. They're really thin, monofilament. We're not injecting anything. That's why we call it dry. We use sterile technique. Like, they're all um, in their own little sheath. Mm-hmm. So they're sterilized. They all, There's often no bleeding. I have rarely have any bleeding involved. Um, you can get, like, some bruising and soreness. But... There's a lot of ways to use dry needling. And the traditional way that most PTs learn is like you find a trigger point, put a needle in it. You may or may not put e-stim on it to get it to twitch. You may or may not like- People don't know what e-stim is either. I know what e-stim is. Electrical stimulation. Electrical like stimulation. The, it's like, ten, like a TENS, tens unit, unit. Whatever yeah. knows there you it go. has. So you can hook needles to a TENS unit, which is great. Um, and people, so you can also like- move the needle in and out of the tissue, which mm-hmm. is not super comfortable, but can be effective for mm-hmm. trigger points. So that is kind of like the traditional way physical therapists dry needle. What I do is a little bit different. I'm not saying I don't do trigger points sometimes. I totally do. But mm-hmm. I tend to follow nerve pathways. Mm. So for example, we might do the abdominal wall mm-hmm. for constipation mm-hmm. because we're like, how can we get this moving more? We might do the pudendal nerve, which is the main nerve of the pelvis. We might go along that pathway for pain with penetration. We might do your hip flexor to try to hit another nerve root that innervates your groin. So I like to use these kind of pathways in the body mm-hmm. to impact change. So there's not like one protocol I'm following. I really like look at the human in front of me. Make sure they're not needle phobic. Make sure they don't have a metal allergy. Make sure they are not, you know, having a pacemaker that I can't hook e-stim up to mm-hmm, or something. Mm-hmm. Get all those out of the way. And then I'm picking pathways that I think are appropriate for them. Mm-hmm. Um, you can also use needling with healing. So even early scar tissue, you can dry needle. You're not going to go into an incision, mm-hmm. but like an early C-section scar, you can totally needle around it. And people have told me that's been hugely helpful for pain, for healing, tenderness, hypersensitivity, et cetera. So the short story is there's a crap ton of ways that you can use needling. Okay. I like the nerve pathways, but I personally get needled from a friend and we do more like you have trigger points here. Let's work Mm -hmm. on these. Yeah. I've never had dry needling done. Like it's on the to-do list at some point, but it's not like, oh my gosh, I need this now kind of thing. Most of my patients love it, but I do have the rare patient that's like, I was really sore. I'm not trying to do that again. Mm. And I say, okay. Mm-hmm. And like, I'm, I'm okay yeah. with soreness. Like, I'm like, just yeah. fix it. Whatever, like, fix it. Yeah. If it's going to be sore, for, that's fine, too. But, like, even, like, yeah. medicine. There's times that I'm I'm telling my mom, like, try these herbs, this herb, yeah. herbal mixture. And she's like, oh, God, no. And it's, you know, like, earthy herbs. Mm-hmm. And it's, like, it's medicine. Like, you know it's medicine. It's not, mm-hmm. it's not supposed to taste good. Yeah. But, like, if you know it's beneficial for you and you're going to feel better, why not do yeah. it? Yeah. One of my colleagues who's an MD, but she's, like, a functional integrative provider, mm-hmm. she was actually telling me maybe yesterday that she herself was taking oregano mm-hmm. for some GI stuff. Yeah. And I was like, oh, right, because I think it's antimicrobial. I think mm-hmm. that's what it is. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was like, yes, like, totally. Like, tell everybody that you're doing this. Because people are always like, oh, you're an MD and you're taking oregano. It must be okay. Right, of course. And I hate, I got a love-hate relationship with that. Because just because they're an MD doesn't doesn't mean that they, yes, it it 
Yes, they may know what they're doing, but also mm-hmm. there's other people who know what they're doing yes. without that title. Yeah, well, in in their field as well. So yes. like people will often come to me and they're upset with their primary care provider because mm-hmm. they haven't referred them to X, Y, or Z, or they haven't effectively treated their chronic UTIs. Mm-hmm. And what I usually say is like, well, that's not really their role. Mm-hmm. Like your PCP is there for the everyday stuff. They can triage you. They can kind of tell you where to go. They're not actually supposed to like treat every single specialty. Right. That's why specialists exist, right? Right. And it's similar. Like, I just always say, like, I'm going to stay in my lane, and I hope other providers do too. Mm -hmm. And I think sometimes patients do want, like, the one-stop quick Mm -hmm. kind of fix. And I'm always like, that is not me. It's not how our bodies are designed. It's not going to work, right? Like, probably there's no quick fix. Even a surgery has recovery, Mm -hmm. has trauma. Mm -hmm. Like, there's lots we have to kind of put into that conversation. Going back to you talking about oregano oil, I've been seeing also on, it's been on TikTok, it's been on Instagram, but I've even read up on things Mm -hmm. too to follow, you know, like, does this really work? But have you had people coming in that have been doing castor oil things? Is that something that people sometimes use to induce labor? Yes. Yeah, I've had... You know, the more like crunchy people. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Mm-hmm. But they're, e- they're even saying um, that they've put it in their belly button and it's helping treat their IBS. Oh, that's, an, I haven't heard of that. Yeah. I'd be curious. That's, I wouldn't, yeah. Be curious to the, your. To see pers- if people. Mm-hmm, your perspective yeah. of it. I also, I will say I saw like an OB talking about castor oil recently and mm-hmm. she was like, you know, none of this is bad, but like that's still medicine. Right. And she right. was like, that's Okay. Her argument was more how, like, you know, the crunchy community gets really, like, we're anti-all Western medicine, but we'll do all these other things. Right, right, right. And she was like, it's fine to do those things, but, like, acknowledge that there are different types of medicine that Mm -hmm. fit different people. Absolutely. And castor oil is fine in some instances, but also, like, as an OB, it's not going to be my go-to because I have more research for these other things. and just, like, understand that. So I do think there's a whole world of, like, more types of medicine, Mm -hmm. maybe is what we should say. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I was even um, looking at some of your your posts and I saw something about, um, what was it? Because you do help people with IBS. Yeah. Um, which I feel like is a lot of women. But I also feel like, yeah. <laughs> terrible, a lot it's of women with, with anxiety. Always. <laughs> there you yeah, go. Yeah. And then their doctors are like, it's stress. Right, right. But yeah. it's also oftentimes they're dehydrated. Mm. Like they're mm. not drinking enough yeah. water. So like, Yes, you can do the leafy greens and all the other stuff, but you yeah. need to actually drink some fucking water. Yeah. Um, but for, I don't, it wasn't IBS that I was reading or anything. Um, some of the pelvic pain that you treat, because you had even mentioned this earlier mm-hmm. on here today. Um, you mentioned some of the discomfort may be itching, but it may not be like people think if there's itching, it must be a yeast oh, it's infection. Like an infection. Yeah. 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 So when I have people who think they have chronic infections, mm-hmm. now yeast is a little different because everyone has some yeast, right? Mm-hmm. And the levels can vary. Now, there is such a thing as an overgrowth. Like mm-hmm. that is, I'm not saying that's not a thing. Mm-hmm. I am just arguing that I think sometimes when we have these really persistent chronic symptoms that are not resolving with, classic over the counter or, or with a antibiotic, like there might be other factors. Mm -hmm. So I'm not saying these don't exist, but when I get people that have like chronic UTIs, I have somebody with urea plasma right now, which is another, I had to research that it's a chronic, another chronic infection. Um, I have somebody with just squamative inflammatory 
vaginitis, which is another chronic infection. So I have people with these chronic infections and all I argue, and I'm not saying that medication does not have a role. Mm -hmm. I should say pharmacologic medication because it does. But there are so many other things in the pelvic floor and like nervous system and musculoskeletal system that can create those symptoms. Mm -hmm. I just think we need to clear those out Mm -hmm. in addition to whatever infection is happening. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if most GYNs don't think about that connection or if they're not educated on that connection. I'm not totally sure like where the disconnect is because I'm not saying don't go to your GYN. I'm just Mm -hmm. saying like if you think you have an infection and your culture is negative or it's not resolving with whatever they've given you, Mm -hmm. we have to consider it something else. And if you are needing chronic antibiotic um, prescriptions, Mm -hmm. like to me, there is something else happening. It's not just yeast, UTI, BV, right? Whatever. And some of that could be nervous system stuff. Yeah, and because your nerves. Too. So every sensation in the body has to travel on nerves, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So itching, burning, tension, irritation, pain, disc- like whatever it is, that has to travel on nerve pathways. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so, yes, you can have an infection. That, in, that gives that input to, into your body and then the nerves tell your brain, hey, this is itching. Mm-hmm. But also like muscle tension can mimic itching. Something impacting that nerve can mimic itching. Mm-hmm. And so there's all these kinds of, I mean, dryness, like hormonal things again. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So there's all these other factors and they're not all in my scope, but I like to tell people like, here are all the things that it could be. Here are the things I can look at. Here are the things you might want to look at. Mm-hmm. And then we kind of go from there. But yeah, the chronic infections is huge. And I wonder if a lot of it is also like inflammatory diet, Mm -hmm. which I pretty much eat everything under the sun. So I'm not here to say eat this or don't eat this. Right, right. However, I do think when there is like chronic inflammation going on, some of that stuff can also pop up. And I would usually send to like a holistic nutritionist Mm -hmm. or a dietitian or something like that. And I spoke on that on here recently. Like it's one thing to like do an elimination diet or whatever, Mm -hmm. but even just seeing a practitioner that can give you a baseline, like to discover what your sensitivities are so that you know what you're working with. Like that's important because. Yeah. And it's hard to find, like, I'm not going to lie. I don't even have like a ton of resources on where to start for that Mm -hmm. because it's hard to find providers. That's like really what they do. But I'm starting to realize the people that are doing like just if they say they're doing more integrative medicine, it's probably a good option. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. If they're more traditional, here's a pill that might that might mask symptoms and it might help if you truly have an infection. But is that going to really like heal your gut? Like I can't I can't really say with certainty that it is. Well, speaking of pills, you even mentioned like birth control and hormones. Yeah, they can interfere with pelvic Yeah, the birth control stuff is really interesting. So we do have actual evidence that hormonal birth control can create dryness, can create pelvic pain, can create sexual dysfunction. Like that is a thing. Mm -hmm. However, I also tell people, I am not saying nobody should take birth control. Right. For the record. (laughs) Right. Like that is not what I'm saying. I just want people to be aware of that connection. So if that Mm -hmm. comes up, they can talk to their provider about changing or altering or getting off if that's appropriate. And I also am really into people like just learning about their cycle Mm -hmm. and seeing if they can actually start to track it. And I'm not talking about rhythm or family planning. I'm talking like actual fertility awareness. Like let's look 
at the numbers and mm-hmm. the science and see what I need to learn. Mm-hmm. So I am in just giving people options, which is probably apparent from everything else we've talked about. <laughs> because, I mean, I've had patients and they like love their IUD and mm-hmm. they do not want to have kids mm-hmm. and they want to have sex. And that's great. Mm-hmm. Use your IUD. Like, I'm never going to tell you not to if it's not causing problems. I've also had patients that have said, yeah, I'm so glad I got off my birth control because I could I could tell it was affecting my whatever, my emotions. Yeah, my, I hear that one a lot. My libido. Like my mood. Yeah. yeah, I mean, a lot of women who see me have low libido and that's like a big complaint Mm -hmm. when they say their sex life isn't where they want it to be and I kind of like pry into that Mm -hmm. it's not even always pain I mean sometimes it's just I don't want to but I don't know why Mm -hmm. and so Mm -hmm. I do screen like hormonal and birth control things Mm -hmm. but the first place I go isn't get off your birth control the places I go would be okay well like what's the history of this did you start a new birth control and then it happened then maybe right but also did it happen like postpartum Right. During okay. a transitional Then something. there's something else yep. we need to look at. And so we are not mental health providers technically, but we do a lot of sexual health and sex counseling. Mm-hmm. Now I still refer to sex therapists like when appropriate, but there are a lot of things we can do to help with libido mm-hmm. that are not necessarily like a mental health provider's scope or mm-hmm. they could be either scope, right. I guess is what I'm saying. So well, I feel like peace of mind Mm-hmm. Or whatever the problem may be, mm-hmm. it goes under that category of mental health, health yeah. and support. But like yeah. peace of mind, no matter where you're going for that peace of mind, like you're getting answers mm-hmm. and it's it's good for your mental. Yeah. And people feeling like they're not alone in that. Yeah. So, I mean, there's not like a normal amount of time you should have sex. There's right. not like a right. normal amount of libido you should have. Right. Like most people who are complaining about their poor libido do want it to be higher. And there are ways to do that. But if you come to me and you're saying I have sex with my partner once a month and, and I say, well, is that causing you distress? And they say, no, that's just how we are. And I'm really happy. And when we, when we do it, it's great. And we have these other ways that we connect. Mm -hmm. Then I'm, then I don't care. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. Like I don't care about it. If you as the patient don't care about it. And that really goes for all symptoms. I mean, Mm -hmm. even though I always say like leaking is not normal, if you leak once a month and it's when you're on your cycle and only if you do a hundred double unders and you don't really care, then I don't really care. Let's get like, into, let's get into leaking. Cause, yeah. um, I know not everybody's familiar. Of course, again, I worked at hospital things and yeah, stuff. Yeah, so yeah. so like I know, yeah, I'm familiar with incontinence issues mm-hmm. with people and I know it, it's not, let me, I'm not a specialist here. I was about to say, I know it's not as common for men, but it is common for women. Yeah. I don't think it's as common for men, but they do. I mean, I have had males with incontinence, but it is a common thing for women after childbirth, for instance. Yeah. And what, like, cause I remember even talking to some women before and they're like, yeah, like when I laugh, I I pee a little bit and I'm like, Mm. that's not like, you don't, it's fixable if you want it to be. There you go. That's what Mm. I say to people. Mm. That sounds like some shit she honestly says. Mm-hmm, because it is. Anything, yeah. Anything's fixable if you want it to be, really. Yeah, I but had someone like, today who literally, when I, it's the same one who like said he shouldn't really like to exercise. And I was like, okay, then you don't have to. And she was like, but she said, I also believe that if I, if like we do what we make, what we prioritize. And right? she said, so it is a priority to me to stop leaking. And if that involves exercise, like I will do it. Mm-hmm. And I was like, great. Because I think that's true as well. 
But also when you have two kids and they're like under two, like maybe that's just not your priority and that's okay. So, so is that just like strengthening the pelvic floor to not always. And that's the complicated thing Mm. is like, I also won't lie. Like when I started doing, trying to do double unders, there were times I was like, am I leaking? Is this what this is like? Right. Cause I don't Mm -hmm. train that movement pattern. Mm -hmm. So like, I know the things I could do if I really want to do double unders, but Mm -hmm. I don't really care. Mm -hmm. So again, it's like, is it distressing? Eh. Right. We might get there later. But, um, so people always think they should do Kegels, Kegels, Mm -hmm. whatever. And so I've gone through phases. Like when I was a new pelvic PT, they do teach a lot of Kegels in those introductory classes. So I was like, yeah, sure. Let's like do some Kegels. Let's see where people have deficits. Do you also feel like when people say Kegels, you got to do one real quick? No, not personally. Okay. Continue. (laughs) But now I might. Okay. Um, we I think know. my patients do because they're always like, oh, wait, am I doing it? Am I doing it right? Right, I'm like, right. But you know. say people don't even know how to do it right. Yeah. So <laughs> my when I first graduated, right, and I did prescribe Kegels, not a lot, mm-hmm. like very, still very few, but I did it more than I do now because there is some evidence that pelvic floor muscle training is helpful. Mm-hmm. So I am not going to say Kegels are always bad. I mean, if you haven't figured out, I never say anything is always bad. Right. (laughs) But I'm not going to say they're always bad if you're doing them and you are not in distress and they are great and you feel good about it. I don't really care. Mm -hmm. I would just argue that there might be more functional and productive and efficient ways to strengthen that area. Um, But like, do I never do Kegel? No, I absolutely do. If I'm (laughs) lifting heavy Mm -hmm. and I know I need to brace a certain way, I am totally going to, mm-hmm. right? If I'm, especially if I'm like doing a, something more dynamic, like I think we're doing jerks today in the workout. So things like that, like I'm, I'm definitely going to, but you also shouldn't have to think about it all the time. Right. So people are always like Kegels, Kegels, Kegels. Should I do them? If I'm leaking, the problem is a lot of my people who are leaking have too much tension. Mm. And so if you are doing a bunch of Kegels and you're never relaxing mm-hmm. or you're doing a Kegel, but you're really flexing your abs or squeezing your butt and you're not doing the right muscles, that's actually just going to make you worse or not right. help you at all. Right. So those are the times where I'm a little like, let's tread lightly. Mm-hmm. But I also have had patients where I'm like, actually, yeah, you have literal pelvic floor weakness. You have poor activation. We need to work on this. I might give them something, but it's probably going to be a coordination exercise. Mm -hmm, It's mm -hmm. probably going to be core pelvic floor, or it might be glutes and pelvic floor, or it might be you want a barbell lift. Great. Let's actually go get the barbell. Let's do a squat. And I'm going to cue you on ways to brace to activate pelvic floor. Mm. So those are my like pros and cons with Kegels. And everyone, if I do any workshop or talk to anybody, they always ask me that. Of course. And I'm, this I'm is, like, this is the buzzword that we've been taught. I know. I'm if really not stuff. Kegel do it. Right. Yeah. And I'm not actually, I'm not tired of answering that question at all because I feel like so many people need to know about that. Mm-hmm. But I even have a midwife who was like, well, if I'm not going to give them Kegels, like what should I give them? And mm-hmm. I was like, well, pelvic PT. <laughs> I mean, I was like pelvic PT, but mm-hmm. if they really can't do pelvic PT, like glute balance work is probably more important mm-hmm. than, but of course then she was like, well, what glute work? And I was like, okay, I, I was like, I can't get into all this right now. But yeah, I just think there's more effective ways. And I think basically strength training is like the most important thing mm-hmm. that especially women, but anybody can be doing mm-hmm. is strength training. And it doesn't have to be, again, people are always like, oh, am I going to have to do like barbell squats? And I'm like, no. You don't. Right. You can do a dumbbell. You can do right. a band. You can start with body weight. I don't really care. But we do know that loading our joints is very helpful for longevity. 
And that help, that's actually great for pelvic health because your pelvic floor doesn't have to do as much if mm-hmm. your surrounding areas are strong and coordinated. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, you know, I had uh, Shivani Gamecock Tooth Doc mm-hmm. on here before, mm-hmm. and you and I have discussed, and she and I have discussed the correlation between the hips and jaws. Yeah. And how, like, if one of them's out of whack, you can get, T- or, yeah, you can get TMJ mm-hmm. yeah. based off of your pelvic hip. Mm-hmm. situation yeah I mean personally I have a really tight jaw because I clench I don't have pain associated with that mm-hmm. and I know when I'm under more stress I know like I have weird my pelvic floor does weird things mm-hmm. like I know that's the time where if I go try to do a bunch of double unders I might have like heaviness or pressure or something mm-hmm. weird versus if I'm you know balanced and aligned and whatever else mm-hmm. And that my grinding your less, teeth yeah, and like, my jaw's less tight. <laughs> yep. My hips are more open. Yep. So I noticed that personally, but what I tell people to do is just, now you have to have good pelvic floor awareness up to do this, but I will say like, go ahead and clench your jaw and see what your pelvic floor does. Or like do a Kegel and see what you feel up here. And most people are like, yeah, yeah, I kind of do both. And so I'm just like, well, there's, there's connections all over the body. Mm-hmm. The jaw, pelvic floor are big. Mm-hmm. And a lot of my patients do have TMJ. It's not something I love treating, but I have plenty of places to refer you if that's, <laughs> you know, if you have TMJ. But yeah, that's something that just today I was telling somebody when they have urgency to relax their jaw. Because mm. I just notice in working with her that she's always kind of like, mm-hmm. you know, up here. And mm-hmm. she can breathe right and she can relax and do the things when I tell her to. But I was like, throughout she's not your, aware of right, it Throughout personally. your day, I was like, I bet you are doing a lot of like abdominal gripping and like jaw clenchy things. And she was like, and she also has a disability. And so like just getting from class to class is like Mm -hmm. difficult for Mm -hmm. her. And so she was like, you're probably right because I have all this other stuff going on. And I'm like, yeah, but it's actually like feeding into your bladder issue. Right, right. Right. So she's doing great. But there are interesting connections like that. The ankles is another big one and the feet. Mm Mm-hmm. Just because that affects the whole chain. Mm-hmm. And I notice if people have really collapsed arches, they typically, their knees will cave in. They'll have weaker hips. That's Makes like sense. one thing we see. And then you get pelvic floor tension. So. Especially if you look at, this is something mm-hmm. that we were pointed out in massage school. When you look at, I remember our massage instructor was like, yeah, look at strippers. You know, they're in mm-hmm. heels all day. Mm-hmm. So think about what happens to their mm-hmm. pelvises. They're like, they're always in a tilt. Yeah, yeah always. So like that affects all yeah. kinds of things from that. Ugh, when I have people that wear heels every day, I'm like, how can we not? Yes. What can we do? Yes. How can we even make it once a week, yes. twice a week? Like I'm willing to work with you, but mm-hmm. like we want, again, you don't want to walk around like a robot, but you mm-hmm. want generally like neutral, mobile hips mm-hmm. and spine. Mm-hmm. And if you're stuck in a heel or a wedge, you're constantly tightening your Achilles and your calves probably shortening your hamstrings, probably shortening your um, hip flexors. Domino effect. Glutes are kind of lazy. Now your back hurts all the time. Back you don't hurts. know all the things. Pelvic floor gets tight. You got a shoulder off because it's a whole, yeah. Yeah, whole heels pattern. are not my jam, but I will say like I'm short. So if I go to a wedding, I will. But Yeah, but like not for right. daily work. Pre- oh, same. God, no. And I don't God, wear no. shoes at all when I work, so. Like, I actually know a PT who used to be in a mentoring group of mine who doesn't wear shoes. Yeah, it's weird I take now. The, I take mine off a lot, actually, if I'm showing patients things, mm-hmm. but I do wear them, like, around the clinic. So I'm like, yeah. we do vacuum, but only so much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so what is the proper way to Kegel, then, since everybody's doing it wrong? Yeah, so, again, there's lots of cues, and it really depends on the person. Mm-hmm. 
But generally, if I tell people to like suck a marble up their vagina, okay, that's like the best cue for okay. most people. Okay. And if they don't get that, I will say, if you were on a crowded elevator and had to pass gas, like what would you do? Mm. Um, for males, if you say, pull your testicles up or shorten the shaft of your penis, that works for them. Okay. Um, the rectum one is hard about like passing gas just cause people will butt clench, mm -hmm. which is not correct. If you are butt clenching or like gripping your abs or holding your breath, it's also probably not correct. Um, but you generally like the, you should be lifting up and in. So if you think about the perineum or the spot between vagina and rectum, and it's called that on both genders, it's the same band Other of people tissue. know it as the gooch. Okay. The gooch. I didn't even know that. Now you do. But if you pull up that area of tissue then that would be correct. But that's the only thing like externally that should really be moving. Mm, okay. So, and also when I, when I tell people, usually I'm doing internal work and I'll say, okay, what do you think a Kegel is? And they're like, <laughs> right. And I'm like, okay, your whole body moved. Right. Right. Let's I mean, it's the same when you tell yeah. people to take a deep breath, they immediately they go like they raise mm -hmm. their shoulders. They yeah. like, they, and it's like, no, you don't, you can just. Now we're all just, doing deep breaths. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah, when I'm at the doctor and they're like testing everything and I'm always like, I don't breathe up or I try not to breathe up here. Mm -hmm. So I'm always like, I always want to ask them like, do people breathe the right way when you do this? Cause that'd be a great education moment mm -hmm. for those primary care doctors that are like stethoscope. Right. Right. Maybe like, don't breathe like that. Yeah. I think that'd be really good. Yeah. Uh, so when somebody is scheduling with you, like, cause I remember, mm -hmm. I can't remember what show it was. It was on MTV. I feel like it was about like it wasn't right when shows came on MTV yeah. that we actually watched. And that was the first time I heard of pelvic PT. Cause I remember. Oh, interesting. Okay. Yeah. And I remember like being semi-interested. I'm yawning cause I was breathing. It's so okay. Deep. It's all right. Your mind is expanding. I was looking into PT before I went into massage therapy. I knew mm -hmm. I needed, I wanted to do something in the yeah, body yeah, work like realm body of some work. sort. And then I saw that show on MTV and there was like a pelvic health specialist oh mm. or no 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 it i remember it was like one of those like sex life shows or something and like okay. and the woman couldn't she was uncomfortable having sex all the time so she mm -hmm. was getting a pelvic pt and i was like i had no idea this was a thing and then mm -hmm. that's when they were like showing the tools to use to yeah expand sure, like things wands or, or dilators yeah. uh, dilator yeah, yes yeah. all those things and um where was i going with this Oh yeah, yeah. So then I even thought, like, what what does the consultation look like for that? Like, do you walk in the office and the PT's fingers are immediately like, let's assess this and this is what's going on? What no. happens? What happens in a A lot of times I don't even do internal day one or even day two. So it depends on the human. And I will ask my new patients, I will say, Hey, is it really important to you to get to internal today? Because like, there's a lot of things we need to look at. Mm. And so if it's really important to you, I'll make it happen. Mm -hmm. But if you're kind of anxious about that part of this, of this interaction, like I'm actually not going to get good information. So I would rather explain to you what's going on and make sure you're comfortable with me first. So if when pelvic pain specifically is a little finicky because you get a lot of people who've had a history of trauma, whether mm. it's whether it's sexual trauma or mm -hmm. otherwise. And so we know that trauma can be held in the body and we know the pelvic floor holds a lot of trauma in the mm -hmm. hips. So if I have those humans in front of me, I'm probably not going to do internal right. on the first day, unless they tell me it's really valuable to them and they really care. So and both Dr. Maya and I, I have similar evaluations. Um where we talk to people a lot. Mm -hmm. I seriously might talk to my new patients for like 45 minutes. Mm -hmm. 
I also want to talk to them for 20. It just depends on what's going on. So I usually sit down and I say, okay, here's what today's going to look like. You already filled out your intake form. Thank you for your time in doing that. Um, I'm going to look at it while you talk, but I want you to just tell me your story. I want you to say like why you're here, the evolution of these symptoms. And I want you to tell me goals. And mm-hmm. I always say like, tell me your big picture goals mm-hmm. or like your, your reach for the stars goals, mm-hmm. because I don't want you to just say, I don't want to leak. I want you to say when my kid's five and they want to go to the jumping, whatever that place is called, trampoline park, mm-hmm. that's what mm-hmm. I want to do. Mm-hmm. Or I want you to say, I used to back squat 200 pounds and that's what I need to, what I want to do. Like that would make me happy in my body. Or like I used to have sex with my partner twice a week and now I haven't had sex in a month and that's what I want to do. So I like Mm -hmm. to kind of hear those like transformative life goals. So we go through all that. I usually ask questions. Usually they ask me questions. I'm usually doing a lot of educating. Mm -hmm. I'm also writing down on a sheet of paper, like what we're talking about to give to them. So Mm -hmm. they don't have to write everything down or memorize everything. And then I pick a place to start. So that might be internal, but that might be hips. That might be core. That might be breath. Mm -hmm. That might be posture. So it depends. I also have a lot of people that bring their babies. And so it's also also might be like, what's the baby doing? Is baby (laughs) sleeping Mm -hmm. and we can get something done? Or does baby like have attachment things and needs to be held? Mm -hmm. In which case we can make that work or Mm -hmm. I can hold them or whatever. So then we start in some aspect and then I get something to work on for home. And that might be behavioral. And it might be breathing and it might be strength and it might be, it might be sometimes like I said to someone recently, like, why don't you come back and tell me what brings you joy mm, in your mm-hmm, life? Mm-hmm. Cause like, I can't get you to have pain-free sex with your partner. If you don't even know non-sexually what, what brings you satisfaction and joy. And it's interesting that you spoke of joy in particular, cause I know we've we've discussed this, but the mm-hmm. area you're working on people mostly, cause sometimes mm-hmm. it's, sometimes yeah, it's solar you move plexus. Around, you move around. Yeah, yeah, yeah but yeah. you're working on the sacral, which mm-hmm. is creativity and pleasure. It is the, the center mm-hmm. for joy. Yeah. Like if you're not experiencing joy, you don't want to create, you don't want to have sex. You don't want to mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. create yeah. physically or like energetically. Like you don't yeah. want to yeah, and when you're stressed and locked up, you mm-hmm. definitely are going to have less libido, mm-hmm. which makes sense to people like us. But other people, really, they don't they don't know because no one's told them. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I do like to make that connection for people. Um, but yeah, then it's just like whatever they want to work on. Mm-hmm. And then I'm just always like, I'm here to work on what you want to work on. And sometimes I use that exact phrase, does this bring you distress? If they say no, I say, okay. If you want to circle back, we can circle back. <laughs> if not, like I had someone recently and she was like, well... I didn't really have sex during my first pregnancy. I don't really want to have sex right now. And I don't know that I'm going to want to during this pregnancy. And I said, okay. Right. That's fair. Great. Right. Great. Let's not, let's not focus on sex during this pregnancy. But she was like, you know what I really want to do is like run when I'm postpartum with this baby. And I'm like, cool. (laughs) If that's, yeah, because that's your goal. Let's do that. Cool. Like we can do that. Yeah. Um, What, what is one of the most common, how did I phrase this in my head? One of the most common things that you probably treat that you think people are afraid or ashamed to come to you about. I mean, there's probably all of it. Let me, I mean, let well, me again, one. we are let in the South, one. so shame, yeah, yeah, shame yeah. when it comes to dirty, nasty sex organs. Yeah, but. I mean, it's probably... It's probably sexual dysfunction and it's probably more, I see it more in females because I have this kind of population of humans who 
was raised religious. Maybe they still are. Maybe they are. Mm-hmm. They aren't. And I am not against religion at all. I think that can be like great community for people and great places to learn about themselves. But often it is people who have been raised really religious or they're really involved in a, in a church mm-hmm. and they've been taught, you know, that sex is negative, but they get married and then they're expected to think that they're going to have sex all the time. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, well, your body doesn't work like that. Mm-hmm. Like that's unfortunately, it's not like a flip switch you can flip. And in doing sex counseling work, to learn, you have to do work on yourself. Right. And like, I'm a really open person, but I noticed. Thank God with what you do. Could <laughs> you I, imagine? I know. But I noticed like going through this training and I said this to the instructors and then the instructor was like basically crying and I was like, oh God, sorry. But it was a good thing. I was like, you know, I thought I was really open and I think I am when it comes to other people, but I'm actually not with myself. Mm. Like I think there actually is sexual shame that I didn't know was there. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I think like I'm always, I was judgmental with myself. Mm -hmm. And I think that was affecting my ability to treat. And I'm not saying it's perfect. Like Mm -hmm. that's, but noticing that and working on it Mm -hmm. is really huge. You have the awareness. Yeah. Because then you also can relate to clients. And I know it's not about me when I'm treating them, Mm -hmm. but sometimes if they say something and they're like looking for reassurance and I've experienced it, Mm -hmm. I do like to say, yeah, I hear where you're coming from. Mm Mm-hmm. Like, yes, someone recently was like, oh, God, I haven't had sex in a few months. And I said, yeah, we've all been there. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, it's okay. Mm-hmm. Like, is, again, is it distressing? Right. Or do you think it's just a phase? Or does your partner care? Right. Do you have a partner? Do you have multiple partners? Like, what does that look right, like? And right. So it's probably that's where people have the most shame. And I'm not going to say it's always religious, but mm-hmm. a lot of times it's religious or maybe slightly like that political mm-hmm. kind of whatever. Like, I was raised in a family that didn't talk about sex Mm -hmm. or they don't, they're really anti-abortion. And so I did like a whole poll on my uh, Instagram story. I feel like it was like two years ago because it even showed up recently. Mm -hmm. And it was like, were you talked to about sex growing up? Like, did you have the birds Mm -hmm. and the bees talk? And my, I guess, are you in my, I'm elder millennial. I can't remember if you're in Oh, my, I'm 92. Okay. I don't know what that means. You you might be border. I don't remember. But anyway, like the millennial generation? No. Mm-hmm. Like we learned about sex on HBO and Skinamax and from yeah. like older siblings and stuff. Our, or yeah. I'm speaking for a lot of people. I'm generalizing. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, like yeah. they didn't talk to us about sex. Mm-hmm. So again, there's that like shame of like I can't talk to people about these things because it's, it's, it's against the rules. Yeah, I see. So I see a lot of that, obviously. Mm-hmm. And I even said actually to my mom, I was like, did we talk about sex? Because I feel like I learned a lot and I don't know how I learned. Right. And I don't remember how I right. learned. She was like, well, I told you about menstrual cycles and you told me that you wanted to die. So <laughs> so she was like, I don't think I actually brought it back up yeah. again. And yeah. I was like, oh God, sorry. You like tried to be a good parent and yeah. I just like shut you down. So I don't, and I went to Catholic school, but I remember learning about sex. So I don't know you like probably where- self-taught. Maybe. So I don't or know Cosmopolitan where magazine that for me. happened. Yeah, we did read Cosmo. So I don't remember where that happened. And I'm grateful that I wasn't in a Catholic school. That mm-hmm. was really stifling. Mm-hmm. Like they were very girl power. Like we want you to learn about your bodies and mm-hmm. yourselves and like be who you are and be it well. It's like something this famous saint said that they really liked at my school. So like it was Catholic, but I, I always say it wasn't like what you're thinking. No, like it was it's super like rock star Catholic kind school. of, yeah. And we had this like cool, um, lesbian health teacher. Oh yeah. <laughs> where, like, where else are you going to see that? I know. And I'm like, she definitely 
taught us some shit. Yeah. Yeah. But like, we're grateful. Yeah. I'm grateful. It. I think her name was Karen. Like, we're so grateful. <laughs> probably the only cool Karen available out there yeah but I remember people were like oh Catholic school and I'm like oh well like yeah but it wasn't we also had nuns and they were pretty freaking cool Mm -hmm. like I remember like chatting with the nuns at lunch and being like wow I really like you Mm -hmm. like Mm -hmm. and I had this nun friend that I would see like after I graduated like I would just go out email her and I'd be like what's up I think she, (laughs) she was really old I'm pretty sure she passed away a few years ago but I yeah she was super cool and I was like yeah let's hang out Mm mm-hmm yeah, I don't have any nun friends or monk friends. I don't friends. anymore. Well, sorry. <laughs> sorry. I'm sure you can make more no, if you wanted to. Oh my gosh, it's fine. Um, and uh, what what's your medicine? I mean, I have a lot. I list a few of, well, you can list as many as you want. There's not. I'll give you a couple. You know, I have a, a bunch. I mean, movement and food are like my favorites because mm-hmm. I love to cook. And even if I don't love to cook, I love to eat good food mm-hmm. and like nourish my body and myself in that way. And I love to work out, which I think I always say I'm really lucky that I enjoy it, but mm-hmm. I also love different things. Like I'm not going to lift weights every day. I'm not mm-hmm. going to run every day. I'm not going to do Pilates every day, but I really like different types of movement based on what my body needs that day. So those are my big, big ones. Um, but I also think meditation, which I don't do probably enough of, mm-hmm. but anytime I take the time to meditate or do breath work, you know, I'm like, why don't I do this more? Mm-hmm. So those are my big ones, but I also, when I'm with patients, I might give them mine as examples, mm-hmm. but then I might say, like, you kind of need to find your own roadmap. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's that's what this is here for. Yeah. So thank you for joining me today. I'm going to have all of your info in the show notes so people can check you out and learn more about you and your practice and what you guys are up to. I'm looking forward to uh, what you guys are building out there. I know you also have... Um, you've been working with the community because I'm, I like to think of you, I hate using that word ally, the way you don't like the other words like self-care okay, and stuff. Yeah. I don't Allies, like, ally is a big one. It's, yeah, yeah. But like, it's one of those like, uh, but like when I look at you as being an integral part of the community that you are building, like you're a part oh, of other communities, but you're also building your own. But so like in saying that, you are very aware of everybody that needs to be here together and to help one another. So like, I admire that in you and the work that you're doing for all of us. Oh, thank you. That makes me so, feel great. Yay. So yeah. We need that in our lives. Yes, we do. Cause again, support. <laughs> yeah. So we probably all have better pelvic floor health with additional I have no support. Patients. Exactly. So <laughs> pros and cons here. Yeah. But, um, Thank you all for tuning in. Make sure you like, subscribe, and share again. And of course, be sure you meditate and hydrate. Bye. Thanks for tuning in to Who You Call in Holistic. Be sure to like, subscribe, and share. You can find me and all my services on shiana.com. That's S-H-E-A-N-A-H. 